630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. All right, the Oilers practiced at 3 this afternoon. They'll be back at it at 11 tomorrow. They don't play again until Thursday when they take on the Colorado Avalanche, who are having an amazing season. Nathan McKinnon, a Hart Trophy candidate. 5.30 face-off show on Jed. The game will start at 7. Connor McDavid not back from the All-Star weekend in Tampa. He did not practice, and Adam Larson was not on the ice either. That personal family issue that kept them out of Thursday's game against Calgary. Head coach Todd McClellan saying not sure what his timeline is for a return. The Calgary Flames assigning Yarmir Yager, uh, Yarmir Yager to Cladden in the Czech Republic. You text 630-630. We're talking about what your wrestling name would be. Uh, Bretsky had a good one for himself, Greenhouse Gas, and his weapon would be a can of beans. Uh, Bretsky asks, uh, Reed, you, you would be Bigfoot because you grew up so far in the boonies. Your best friends were a family of Bigfoot. <laughs> I was actually rejected by the family of Bigfoot. <laughs> And Stan says, hey, Reed, I'm not sure what my wrestling name would be, but I would be the guy wearing the T-shirt that says, don't pick a fight with an ugly person because we have nothing to lose. Is that a common wrestling shirt? Uh, not really, but I can picture it. He'd probably be second, third row in. How much are, are ringside <laughs> seats for a, a wrestling event? Uh, does, does it cele- all celebrities there at the big WWE once? Just just at WrestleMania. Like at, I've gone to WrestleMania twice, once in New Orleans, once in Orlando. Ringside for those shows easily upwards 12, 1500 bucks really? a seat. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think the most I've ever paid was WrestleMania in Orlando for my seat. And I was like 6 or 7 rows away from the ring, 800 bucks. Eight hundred bucks. Eight hundred so bucks American. American. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then plus that they're all pay per view, right? Yeah. So they make money off that. Yep. Interesting stuff. All mm-hmm. right. Uh, appreciate the text of six thirty six thirty. A lot of you are very very funny, and I do appreciate it. This is pretty cool here. Don Hay from the Kamloops Blazers, now the winningest coach in the history of the Western Hockey League. 743 wins. He got there on Saturday when his Kamloops Blazers beat the Portland Winterhawks 5-2. Don, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, congratulations. That's a pretty cool accomplishment. 743 wins in the in the Western Hockey League. I'm going to start here, though, Don. Do you remember the first one? Uh, you know, I remember that first one really, uh, really well, like it happened yesterday. So uh, there's a lot of wins I don't remember and a lot more losses I like to forget. But uh, um, I remember the win. It was uh, the second game. We we opened the season and the building uh, in 92. Uh, we raised the banner, the Memorial Cup banner, coached by Tom Rennie. And, and uh, we went on to lose that first game to Portland about 8-2. to two. The next night we were in Tacoma, and a young man named Matt Domicelli uh, scored a hat trick uh, in the third period for for our first win. So, um, you know, after that it kind of goes blank a little bit, but uh, you know that was a, a big win for for us to get, and um, you know never thought uh, to ever reach uh, Ken Hodges' record. 
What was the feeling like on Saturday when that buzzer went and you actually knew you'd set the record? Was it joy? Was it a sigh of relief? Let people know how you felt. Well, I don't think it was relief. I think it was joy. You know, it uh, it happened right where it started. You know, we started in that building in 1992. You know, my family uh, was at the game. Uh, my daughters, who now are married and have kids of their own, were at the game. So it's kind of definitely special for my wife and them and the kids. And, uh, you know, all the fans were, were just really outstanding at the game. And a couple guys that were on the bench with me uh, that have helped, uh, that were players when in, in that game in 92, were there on the bench helping me, Chris Murray and Aaron Keller. And, um, you know, Mike Needham, my longtime assistant coach here. You know, there's so many people to, to thank when you when you reach a milestone like this. But uh, it was it was very special. It was a fun moment to go through. How, how did how did you and the team handle the build up to it? Because I know most coaches want everything to be about the players and for uh, the focus to be on them as, as much as possible. Um, you know, how did how did you and they handle the the lead up to this and the sort of the countdown to it? You know, we really didn't talk about it. You know, we got off to a real tough uh, start during the season. I think we were 0-9. Um, you know, we just stopped talking about, uh, you know, I, I know at the start of the year there was a lot of expectations and talk about reaching the milestone. And then it just all of a sudden stopped and went away. Uh, we were going along. Uh, you know, we went through trade deadline. Um, and we made a made a trade with Everett that brought in a couple of real good young players to our team, and we we were out uh, in Alberta in in uh, Calgary, Red Deer, and Edmonton the week before, and we were able to win all three games. And all of a sudden, it was in front of us, and um, you know we didn't we really didn't talk about it. we just talked about uh, how we wanted to play the game and and uh, you know keep on doing what we were doing, and uh, then we tied the record on Friday. Uh, kind of funny, I said to my wife on Friday, we'd had a good week of practice. I felt good about uh, going into the weekend, and, and we were able to win that game. And um, then, uh, you know, we just talked about what we had to do to play against uh, a real good Portland team. And we got be- behind 2 nothing. and then obviously, you know, you, you kind of forget all about it. And then you just kept building up. And, you know, when we scored early in the third to take the 3-2 lead, um, you know, that was kind of on everybody's mind, I think. And then uh, we got the empty netter, and then it was uh, kind of a celebration in there afterwards. So uh, the way the game went along, uh, you know, it kind of pushed it to the back burner. The guys really stuck with it and played a good game, and then we were able to get it. Don Hay joining us on Inside Sports now, the winningest coach in the history of the Western Hockey League. Don, you know, you've always been dealing with uh, kids generally in the age range of of 16 to 20, uh, but you've gotten older during that time. (laughs) What's been the the key to being able to connect with with that generation? Because a lot of people say, well, you know, the world's different for young people than it was in the 90s or even 10 or 15 years ago. What do you think's allowed you to keep connecting and, and keep leading kids? Well, I think that um, you know I have uh, I have grandchildren, and and I think you have to keep changing with the time. But you know these kids are uh, are, are different kids, no doubt about it, than the kids from the '90s and early 2000s. But you know they're 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 still pretty good kids in my mind, and and they you know they they have a dream, and that dream is playing in the National Hockey League one day. And, um, 
you know, they uh, they want to come and they want to get better and they want to learn. And I really enjoy teaching. I enjoy going to the rink every day and uh, working with kids. So, um, you know, I just... Uh, Obviously, uh, I think everybody changes, and if you don't change, you get left behind. So I'm not crazy about some of the music that they play these days, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I keep trying to get them back to the country, country music. But uh, you know, they like the rap a little bit more. But you know, it, I, I think that you have to change as a coach. You have to make sure that uh, there's certain elements in your in your coaching that you have to demand from the kids. There's also things that you have to change on and, and uh, loosen up on. I talked to Milan Lucic after Oilers practice today, Don. He said one of the things he remembers you teaching him is will over skill. Does that still apply to what you do today? And maybe uh, do you have any uh, fond memories of coaching Milan for a couple of years? Because obviously those there's a couple of really good teams he was on. Well, first of all, uh, we still talk about will over skill. I think you can be, as, and it's even more so now, you know, you look back, um, you know, how the Detroit Red Wings changed things when they had their top players like Datsuk and Detterman, uh, you know, just lead their team through work ethic. And then along came Sidney Crosby and Jonathan Taze. And- Superstars are the best players on the team as far as work ethic and commitment. Uh, and, you know, that's carried on, and I think that's what makes the game so exciting is that your top players have got to bring that every night uh, for your team to have success. And, you know, with Milan, um, you know, we had a 10-year reunion this year, and it was great to, to see him again after uh, the years in Vancouver. But I, I thought uh, he was one of the one of the players that really changed the culture in Vancouver in the Giants when it, when when he came to us. Uh, his first practice, I can remember him going up and down the ice thinking to myself, boy, uh, you know, this guy, yeah, you know, I, I don't know if he's got the skill to play, but he sure has the work ethic to play. And, you know, he just loved coming to the rink. He loved uh, getting better. Uh, he almost challenged the coaches every day. Uh, what are we going to do to to get better today? And he put in the time and the work to improve himself. And then he's playing in the NHL at 19 years old. So that just shows you the commitment that he had as a young player to get better. And, you know, everybody talks uh, about we have to continue to get better every day. But I don't know if they, they understand the effort that you have to put forth uh you know, players got to be self-motivated and and really committed to doing that. Uh, you know, you can do it if the coach is standing there, but you know, there's a lot of free time that the kids can do things to get better. And Milan was one of those kids that uh, you know we really set the tone. But he really enjoyed coming to the rink every day, and I think it made it fun for him, and he could see himself getting better all the time. Don, before you became a full-time coach, correct me if I'm wrong, but were were you a firefighter? I was a full-time firefighter. Wow. So what, uh, quite a change. I mean, that's, people say coaching is an intense profession, but but I think there's a little more gravity to being a firefighter. Well, you know, it, 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 it's a great job, and I don't think many people leave leave firefighting, but uh, I went to a great job. You know, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't have done anything different. Uh, I remember after that first game against Portland in 92, I was thinking if I did the right thing or not. Uh, but Bob Brown came in and, 
reminded me that I did do the right thing and uh, had my my back and, and supported me 100%. So uh, firefighting, uh, you know, you have to work as a team uh, to get the job done, to, to put out fires, to help people. And, um, you know, it, it's the same with coaching. I think that, you know, and this reward uh, or achievement, I look back and there's been so many people that have helped me along the way, uh, players number one, but uh, coaches and management people, owners, uh, support staff, um, they've been involved in, in many different ways to make it work. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what's so special, I think, about this award. And like I told the players after the Saturday game is that, you know, it, it takes a lot of people to achieve this. So uh, they're part of it. And, um, you know, it's very special. Don, I got one more for you. Some wins that don't count towards your Western Hockey League total, but are pretty significant, and they happen in Alberta because the 95 World Junior Tournament was uh, primarily in Red Deer, though you guys played one game in Edmonton and one in Calgary, if I remember correctly. And uh, you did very well, obviously, <laughs> winning the gold medal. And that was a, a special year because there were some high-profile players on it because of the uh, NHL work stoppage situation. What can you say about... You know, coaching a team with that expectation, um, because there's always high expectations for Canada, and there may even been been a little more uh, that year. What were some of the the keys for that team to live up uh, to their expectations? Well, I remember that year uh, really well because of the lockout. You know, we had players like Ryan Smith that went on to have a great career at Edmonton there, and um, you know, I, I think that with expectations. Uh, are, are a good thing because it you know that your team it, it, it's a good team I, I feel I think that uh, you know we had uh, the, a lot of the top players and um, you know we just wanted to form a team and in in the world juniors uh, the players they dream about playing for the world junior team they they watch it on on TSN uh, you know they 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 want to be the player that scores a, a gold medal winning goal. So I think that, uh, you know, you, you just, as a coach, you want to continue to build and focus on team and, uh, you know, continue to grow so that they, they can improve all the time and, and see themselves getting better. So it's, um, it's always a great challenge. I know that, uh, uh, you know, 95 was different than 2012 when I also did it in Alberta. So it's, uh, you know, the expectations go up and up. And the other nations get better and better. So that's what's uh, so much fun about the World Juniors nowadays. There's so many teams that have the opportunity to win it. So uh, I, I thought uh, they did a great job this year in winning the gold medal. The coaches and the players did an outstanding job. So, um, you know, having coached uh, uh, international hockey, World Juniors, under-18s, uh, you know, it's, it's always great to represent your, your country. There's no better feel. Don, we really appreciate you sharing some stories with us here on 630 Chet. Congratulations again on the wins record. And, hey, I know it's on to the next game. So all the best in your next game. Okay, thank you very much. That is great to have Don Hay on the show. What a career. Now 743 coaching wins in the Western Hockey League. The previous mark, Ken Hodge, former coach of the Edmonton Oil Kings and the Portland Winterhawks. Another note from the WHL. Young man you will be familiar with, Kyler Yamamoto, the WHL Player of the Week. Of course, he's back with the Spokane Chiefs after starting the season with the Oilers. First round selection, 22nd overall in 2017. How about this four-game run? Six goals, ten points. 
for the Spokane Chiefs. Kyler Yamamoto having a pretty good season down in the WHL. It is 7.20. Quick timeout. Inside Sports on 6.30, Chad. This is Adarius Bowman from your Edmonton Eskimos. And you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 6.30, Chad. So completely from the Department of Frivolity. This story showed up in my news feed on my phone. I don't know if you guys have this on your phone, but when I swipe to the left, I, I, I go my moving left. I guess I swipe right, so I see the screen on the left. I have one of those automatically generated news feeds based on what I Google. So if I'm Googling a lot of Game of Thrones, I'll have more Games of Thrones stories. So I had a... Uh, this guy's name is Sean Wagner McGough. He writes for CBSSports.com. So he sat down and watched the Super Bowl on Madden. He watched a full four 15-minute quarter game between the Patriots and the Eagles. And he starts writing about it. Oh, he kind of thought it was stupid that he was even doing it. And then it's like, okay, it's it's uh, kind of interesting. So I, 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 this is just worth bringing up what happened because it's so insane. So it was 24-10 for the Patriots after the third quarter. All right? So then the Eagles started fighting back. It was 24-21 for the Patriots. And then the Eagles blocked a punt and uh, ran it back for a touchdown to go ahead 28-24. And then Brady, in the last minute, the, the Eagles, in the last two minutes, pardon me, the Eagles punted, and the ball was downed inside the one-yard line. So with a minute 46 left, Brady had to take the Patriots 99 yards. He winds up throwing an 87-yard touchdown to Brandon Cooks with a minute left. So now the Patriots are up 30-28. They try the extra point. The Eagles blocked it and ran it back for a defensive convert to tie the game at 30. So this guy's watching this video game, and then all of a sudden he's like, oh my God, I can't believe it. And uh, then, of course, the Patriots won in overtime, because don't they always? 36-30. You sure he wasn't watching a CFL game? (laughs) He was not watching a CFL game. That, That was pretty wild, though. That might even top last year's Super Bowl with the Patriots coming back to win in overtime. So, yeah, I... I was hesitant to even read that, but, I, but I'm glad I did. That turned out to be pretty entertaining for Sean Wagner McGough on CBS Sports. Two Pandas goaltenders have a combined shutout streak of over 411 minutes. You'll hear from them in the next half hour. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Ched. Talbot and the Oilers practicing today. No Connor McDavid as he gets back from Tampa. No Adam Larson still away from the team because of a personal family issue. No timeline for his return. Brian texting 630-630 in reference to the little story I told about uh, reading uh, about a writer who watched a Madden Super Bowl simulation with the Patriots winning in overtime. Brian says, I love happy endings. And then he also says, I can't believe you like Game of Thrones. I do like Game of Thrones. I don't know if he means I, I can't believe it because I think it's terrible, if that's what's Brian saying, or if he can't believe that he and I have something in common. I watched the entire run of Game of Thrones from early August to mid-October last year. Pretty much all I did in my spare time. 
pretty sad actually all right so we got these pandas goaltenders coming up at uh, around 7:45 quieter day of the year here Oilers back at practice. They don't play until Thursday. No NHL. We're still in the All-Star break. So I, I've been sitting on this story for a while. So I've decided I'm going to share it now. And it is, uh, I will fully admit, it is an embarrassing story. Uh, kind of an odd story. At one point, I thought it was going to be perhaps a horror story. As I was experiencing it. It does involve me spending an outrageous amount of money for a service. And, uh, no, no, not that, Kellen. <laughs> nothing, nothing like that. Uh, and I, I, I will, I will disclose the dollar amount, not, not in the, because I'm bragging that I spent that money be, to prove what an idiot I was to even be in this situation. So here it goes, Kellen Kennedy. As you may know, not just you, Kellen, mm-hmm. but a couple of the listeners, I enjoy the rock and roll band Def Leppard. They played, mm-hmm. Uh, a concert in Edmonton at the start of June. And then the last weekend of June, I was going to Chicago to cover the NHL draft. Well, lo and behold, Def Leppard in Chicago that weekend. The Saturday night. The draft ends like early Saturday afternoon. I'll have a little bit of work to do after. I don't fly home until early Sunday morning. This is great. I can go see Def Leppard for the 11th time and second time that month. So I buy tickets. It's great. You know, whatever. I'm going to go myself. So Def Leppard is performing not in the city of Chicago, in a, in a what I thought was a suburb called Tinley Park uh, in an outdoor amphitheater. So I'm like, great. Out, outdoor setting, be a big venue. It's going to be really cool. So I'm, I'm going down there. I, I, I think I emailed one of the Chicago media people and was like, you know, how do you get down there? Is there a bus or rail? Because I figured if it's a often used concert venue that I, I'd have, you know, there'd be some sort of transit to get there. There wasn't. So I'm like, whatever. It's Chicago. It's a huge city. I'll get an Uber, cab, whatever. It'll cost a little more than I'm used to paying. But I, I you know, I was like, it's part of a holiday experience. So I... Uh, so it's about, I think it was something like 35 miles south of downtown. So it'd be kind of like having a concert by Lake Wobbleman. It's not really in Edmonton, right? It's, it's, it's in a park near Edmonton or near Chicago. So I call, an, I call an Uber on my phone. I'm like, great, the Uber guy's coming. If people who use Uber, it shows he's uh, you know, a block away. Then all of a sudden, it says the Uber guy canceled the ride, canceled the pickup. And I kind of thought, oh, that's odd. That's never happened before. So I call another Uber. Great. The guy picks me up. I get in the car. He checks where I'm going. Yeah, I won't take you there. I was like, what do you mean you won't take me there? He's like, I won't won't take you there because I won't have a ride back. So I'll have to drive you all the way out there, and there'll be no one wanting to come back into Chicago. So he says, sorry, pulls over, and I get out of the Uber. So now I'm a little nervous, thinking... Gee, I, I really want to go to this concert. So I hail a cab. Get in the cab. Uh, I tell the guy he's, where I want to go. Now, his English was not great. So we had to struggle a little bit to communicate. So he actually passed me his phone and said, put in the address of where we want to go. So it, it actually did have a formal address. So I type it in, and then I give it back to him, and he looks at it. He goes, oh, okay. 
I'm not going to do his accent or his broken English, but that would just be mean. But he basically says, okay, I, I'll take you there, but there's going to be an extra charge, which I, I figured there probably would be. So I'm like, okay. So he goes, well, he goes, he goes, this is just an example. This isn't the actual amount. But he goes, if, if the ride were $5, you would pay 10 if the ride were, were $10, you would pay 15 That's how he explained it. And I said, oh, okay, so i got to pay an additional $5. And then he goes, no, 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 one and a half. One and a half times. So I'm like, okay, this is obviously going to be a $100 cab ride. What am I going to do? i got to get to the concert. It's kind of too late to do anything else. So we're driving out there, and by the time you get to Tinley Park, Illinois, you are not in the city of Chicago. You go on the interstate, you go off on a secondary high ro- highway, and then you sort of go on a country road. Like, it's paved, but the, the choppy pavement. And we drove through a, through a park, past a golf course, and then all of a sudden there's the big amphitheater. There it is, in the middle of a field. So it was $80, so I had to give pay $120 American for this cab ride. Okay. All right, fair enough. Uh, I get out, and it's, like, it's just a massive gravel parking lot uh, cars everywhere, people everywhere. Uh, who was the opening band on that one? I forgot already. I didn't get to see. Not Slayer. Do you remember? I, it was somebody. This, yeah. It this was past summer. Maybe it was Slayer. Yeah. Slayer, Poison, and and Def Leppard. Okay, that's quite the bill. I, I didn't see the the first bill in uh, the first band in Edmonton either. So I, as I'm walking to the to the venue, I see Uber flags, like you know those long narrow flags that probably go 15 or 20 feet in the air. I see a couple of them and they say Uber. So I'm like, great. After the concert, I go to the Uber stand and uh, I get an Uber and I go back to Chicago and everybody's happy. So I get in there, just massive crowd. I shuffle to my seat. Uh, Really cool, actually. I I got got seated next to these two sisters who were around my age and uh, they, they, they had cousins at the concert. And the cousins' wives got really drunk and left early, so they gave us our ticket. The, the cousins gave us their tickets on the way out, so we went down closer to the stage to watch the final third of Def Leppard. So I, I'm talking to these two women, and I said, "How do you like? How did you guys get here?" And they lived some. They lived in Indiana. They came in from the other across the border. So they said, "You know, we we'd give you a ride, but." We're not going back to downtown Chicago. They, they, they said and they, they used to live in Chicago. Now they lived One lived in Montana. One lived in Indiana. And they said, we don't know how you're going to get back, but you'll, you'll get back. You know, so there'll be rides somewhere. Okay. So the concert ends. Say goodbye to them. Go walking towards this Uber stand. There are probably 200 people congregated around this Uber stand. And this parking lot was a good old fashioned. Yes, it was Tesla. Thank you to the person who texted in. It was Tesla. I should have remembered that. Uh, like this parking lot was a schmazzle. Like cars going in all different directions trying to get. There's one gravel road out of the park, and then there's one secondary highway to get back to the to the other highway and then onto the interstate. So it's it's after 11 at night. So I'm going to the Uber stand and I was like, "Wow, this is going to be a long wait." So I pull out my phone to go on Uber just to see what's going on. And then all of a sudden, this guy appears in front of me. Well, there were people everywhere, but he kind of stops in front of me. And he goes, do you need an Uber? So the first thing that went into my mind was this guy's going to stab me. I I don't know why I went straight there. But the first thing I thought to myself was this guy's going to stab me. So... But there were also thousands of people around. So I figured it wasn't going to happen in that venue, but getting into his car could be a, a dicey proposition. 
So I just kind of looked at him and I said, yeah, I'm walking to the Uber stand. Then he goes, well, you're going to be in for a long wait. I'm offering you a ride right now. And I said, well, why aren't you with all the other uh, Uber people? And he goes, I'm offering you a ride. He didn't directly answer the question. He goes, look, this is my car right here. He points to his car. He has the Uber sticker in the window. So what? He could also have a large hunting knife concealed under the steering wheel. So, but I thought, okay, I, I should be safe talking to this guy in this large crowd. Maybe I'll just talk to him. So the Uber surge pricing, okay? Now, it said, it said an Uber would be about $48 back to downtown Chicago, okay? I, I, for those of you who use Uber, or if you don't, you probably know the story. When it's busy, it's surge pricing. So instead of the regular price, it might be one and a half times the price because there's more demand. The surge pricing was three and a half to the times, times basically 50. So that's a $350 Uber ride. So I'm like, oh my God, like, well, how long am I going to wait? How much is this going to cost? So, you know, I'm looking on my phone and he, he says, yeah, it's like, you know, he goes, I'll, I can give you a ride. You don't have to wait. You won't have to pay the surge pricing. Uh, I was like, okay, well, what's, what are you going to charge me then? He goes, $275. I was like, I can't give you $275. I can't do it. And then uh, he's like, $250. And I said, look, it doesn't matter. I don't have $250 cash on me. Like, and I thought I'd say that too in case he thought, you know, he's going to try and get some money from me. So basically, uh, I, I, but now I'm starting to think this might be a viable way to get back into Chicago because I have no idea how long I'm going to have to wait at the Uber stand because the Uber situation had turned into a taxi situation. The Ubers were lined up. People were lined up waiting. So I think this guy got there late, and instead of waiting to be one of the last Ubers when the surge pricing get down, got down, he was going to find somebody like me who looked like they really needed to get back. So uh, finally, I, I was like, well, well, like, wait a minute. He, he, he goes, well, you can pay me. He goes, we can stop at a bank machine and you can get money. I said, I have a Canadian debit card. I can't take money out. Maybe I could have, but I was being difficult. So then finally, he's, I, I said, okay, $200, I'll go with you. And he, he said, I can take your visa. And I said, well, if you're, but if, I, if it's Uber, it's through PayPal. He goes, no, no, if I'm, I'm doing a flat rate, it's on my own. So Uber did not get any of the money. He just made a personal transaction, which I respect the guy for. So we finally arrived at $225 American to get me back into Chicago. So I get into his car, and I'm thinking, I can still hop out if it seems creepy because there's so many people around. But he actually turned out to be really nice. It took half an hour just to get out of the park, like probably to go 200 meters on the road to get out of the park. Uh, then he had to turn away from the city to get onto the highway. And he, I think he could tell I was nervous because he said, he said, look, it's going to look like Chicago's behind us, but I'm just going around this way to get on the interstate. We drove back, had a, had a great conversation. Uh, he had one of those scanners on his phone, called it's called Square, where he just scanned my credit card, it got charged immediately. I got an email immediately, because apparently I'd used this before, and it, it came right to my account, so I thought at least I have a record of it if somehow there are a bunch of charges to my credit card, none of which happened. The guy was awesome, he drove me in, uh, I got back to Chicago, uh, I don't know, just before 1, went and had a snack at the pub across the street, went back to my hotel, packed, slept for an hour and 10 minutes, and then got up to make uh, the airport for 4 o'clock. So the total cost Canadian of the ground transport to Tinley Park, Chicago, 
$570. Yes, $570. So that turned into my, uh, that was my Def Leppard holiday from Chicago in the summer. But it was worth every penny because they're so good. I don't feel so bad overpaying in Orlando going out to the uh, independent wrestling event where the cabbie charged me 150 bucks. now. You did much better. You got yes. a deal. There We're we back go. with a couple Panda Star goaltenders. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Some guests on the show get gift certificates to Northern Chicken. Enjoy a cold craft beer or a great glass of bourbon with modern soul food and other tasty treats at Northern Chicken, 10704, 124th Street. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks for tuning in tonight. I'm pleased to welcome to the show the two goaltenders for the U of A Pandas hockey team, Dana Owen and Kirsten Chamberlain. Dana, how are you doing? Oh, good. How are you? Good. Kirsten, how are things with you? I'm all right. <laughs> good. Thank, thanks for coming on the show tonight. I really appreciate it. You guys are, are quite a story. When was the last time your team gave up a goal? Do you even remember? Um, I think the, the second game against Manitoba, so the first weekend of January. Okay, yeah. so you've gone most of this semester without being scored on. I believe the streak is 411 minutes and 38 seconds. Were you were you too aware of that? Are you paying attention to it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's really cool, obviously, and there's kind of been a lot of talk about it, but uh, try not to pay attention to it too much or focus on it too much going into a game. Yeah, oh. for sure. I. The, you don't like to think about it too much, or else you'll get superstitious. <laughs> right. Okay. So, do you, do you guys totally split time? Do you alternate all the games on the weekends? Uh, yeah, we have been this semester. Okay. So, is there how much do you feel any pressure to try to keep the shutout streak going? Like, not to be the goalie that allows the, the goal that ends it? Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's a little bit of pressure there. It's a it's a pretty cool statistic to have, and. Um, we're close to breaking uh, the record set previously by our team in like 2000 and 2001, I think it was. Um, but you also can't really think about that going into a game. You just have to kind of go into each game the same way and not to think about it too, too much. The record, yeah, back to, uh, I think, 2001, 437 minutes and 54 seconds. So you're just over a period away from breaking that. When's your next game? Uh, Friday at U of S. At U of S. Okay, and do you know who's starting that one? Uh, no, we usually find out Thursday after practice. Find out Thursday after practice. Okay. Uh, Dana, how long have you been on the Pandas? Uh, this is my third year. Third year. So were you Lindsay Post's backup the last couple of years? Yeah. Okay. And uh, Dana, what about you? Is this your first year? Oh, uh, me, I, it's my second year. Second year. Okay, so were you yeah. like the third goalie last year? Or how did it work? Uh, yeah. Uh, Dana and Post rotated last year, and I took a year off and was practicing with the team. Oh, okay. My first uh, official season of league play. Okay, all right. So, uh, now, is, is this shutout streak, is this you guys standing on your head? Is this the team playing well defensively? Kirsten, what would you say? Uh, I mean, a little bit of both. I think uh, Dana and I have made some big saves when we need to, but obviously our team's been playing um, unreal in front of us. They, uh, don't, we haven't been letting up a lot of shots per game, and uh, the shots we do let up aren't um, too dangerous or anything like that. So I think it's a combination of uh, players are kind of, things are kind of being put together, and um, our D zone's 
working out quite nicely right now as well as uh, we've been kind of on our game and being ready for any shots that we do face. Dana, where are you from and how did you come to the Pandas? Uh, I'm from Calgary. Um, So I came here because I knew the Pandas. They're historically like a great program, a great team. Um, The University of Alberta is a great school. Um, I was coached by Howie for the Canada Winter Games team that year, so I kind of knew a little bit about him and liked his coaching style, so I decided to come here. Kirsten, what about you? Uh, similar sort of thing. I'm, I'm from Cochrane, actually. So um, Dana and I knew each other growing up, and we'd played with each other for a little bit with, or sorry, um, a little bit with Team Alberta functions and whatnot. And um, I also have some family out in Edmonton, and both my parents uh, went to the University of Alberta, so I knew it was a good school and that I'd be in good hands coming here because I knew some of the girls coming in, and I knew it'd been a great team, so it would have been a good fit if I came here. Okay, so now I understand you both. So is this, is it six consecutive shutouts and you guys have three each in the streak? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. that's correct. And you each have four shutouts on the season. So you guys are generally uh, uh, hard to score on. And I was, I think I was looking at the standings. Aren't you guys only second in the league? Like, how, how, who's ahead of you? Uh, Manitoba is ahead of us. I think we squeaked by UBC this weekend because I think they lost a few games. But um, I think uh, Manitoba had a hot first half, and so we're playing a little bit of catch-up <laughs> yeah. so far. Okay. Uh, Kirsten, what are you studying? Uh, I'm in uh, Bachelor of Science with a major in psychology. Oh, cool. Dana, what about you? Uh, I'm in business. In business, all right. Do you have hockey aspirations, either of you, beyond university, or are you still waiting to see about that? Um, I would definitely like to play after. Where I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing maybe the Calgary Inferno because I could go back home. <laughs> right. Okay. But uh, yeah, that would be for me. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's opportunity presented itself. I, I think I. It'd be a neat experience for sure, playing with some of those girls. Um, I probably play, would like to play for Inferno as well. And, you know, like seeing uh, where Posty's come this year and she's playing for the Inferno. She's had a really good time. So I think that'd be a cool experience. But I think it's kind of a, a wait and see right now. Okay. All right. So yeah, practicing all week, when do you go to Saskatchewan? Uh, Thursday afternoon. And that's when you'll find out who's playing on Friday? Yeah. Okay. Well... Whoever it is, all the best. I don't know if you need luck because you're doing quite well. Obviously, the shutout streak for the Pandas hockey team, thanks to these two ladies, 411 minutes and 38 seconds. They're closing in on a team record. Thanks for making time for us tonight. Kirsten Chamberlain, Dana Owen, goaltenders for Pandas hockey. Hope we can talk again soon. All the best this weekend. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Right on. Wow, that's an incredible story. Get the uh, emails uh, after all the, the U of A games, and okay, back-to-back shutouts, so three in a row. Then this weekend, I'm like, what? Six in a row? That's incredible. And, and they split time. There isn't really a number one goaltender. That's a remarkable story. Hopefully they'll keep it going. And don't forget, this show from 6 to 8 on Friday will be live from Claire Drake Arena. Two powerhouses going bad at the U of A Golden Bears are going to be taking on the Saskatchewan Huskies. Besides Dana and Kirsten, you heard from Don Hay, Brendan Ulrich, Milan Lucic, and Leon Dreisaitl. Oilers practice at 11 tomorrow. Bob Stoffer will have Oilers now from noon to 2. I'll have inside sports from 6 to 8. 
Kelly Rudy will be one of our guests. See if Connor McDavid is back at practice. He might get another day off. Adam Larson has not rejoined the Oilers as he deals with a personal family issue. Thanks to Kellen Kennedy, our studio producer. The producer of Inside Sports is Dave Campbell. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for listening. Adler's up next. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.